following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church fam. How are you today? You good? Hey, um, if you were wondering what the presence of God feels like, let me just tell you, you were just in the middle of the presence of God, the moving of the Holy Spirit. Um, that, third, that third song, something swept into this building, I'm telling you. And um, I don't know what you came in here needing today. I don't know what you came in here carrying today. But I'm confident that the God that I'm going to be preaching about in just a moment is well able and desires to meet your need today. Do you believe that in the house today? And if you don't believe it, I'm coming for you. That's all I must say. Hey, as you can tell, Pastor Rex is not here. Uh, he is in the Beaumont area, Lumberton, Texas, to be exact. Pastor Nathan Keating, who was his first assistant here at Christian Life way back in the day, was actually my youth pastor. Um, so they, they had a rededication on a kind of an expansion project at their building, and Pastor Johnson is preaching there today. So I have the opportunity and the great priv- privilege of uh, kicking off a brand new series that we're going to be diving into over the next several weeks, and we're titling it World War Me. World War Me. And I know some of you right off the bat, you're like, whoa, that's a little aggressive for church. I mean, it's a little forceful. Uh, It seems hostile even, perhaps, Pastor Brad. And you might be right. But if you study the Word of God long enough, what you begin to realize is that what we walk into when we walk out of these, uh, these doors outside of in the main lobby, what you walk into in your homes and on your job and in your schools, in your relationships, you realize very quickly that life is not a playground. And you begin to understand that the life that we live is more of a battleground than it is a playground. And whether, uh, quite frankly, whether you believe it or not, you are in the middle of a battle. Every day that you wake up, you're in the middle of a struggle. You got to put one foot in front of the other. You got to win the battle every single day. And I would venture, even if you're kind of like, I don't know, you resonate with that on some level. You, You understand a little bit of what I'm talking about. And once again, if you read the scriptures, you'll, you'll, you'll learn quickly that we're presented with really three main sources of conflict in our life. And and I want to break those down very quickly. The first is the devil, right? We have an enemy. The Bible is clear that if you are a follower of Jesus, you have an adversary who wants to attack you and wants to devour you. And he's got backup. He rolls with a crew. It's called the fallen angels, the demons. And listen, I know that may spook some of you out, but that's the, that's the spiritual war that is going on in the spiritual realm that maybe you can't see with your physical eyes, but it's happening. And so the devil, the enemy, is a source of conflict uh, from time to time in our life. The second source of conflict that the the Bible would portray for us is the world. And I'm I'm not talking about the world in which you would see on National Geographic or the Discovery Channel. No, that's not like, not a waterfall fighting against you. That's not what I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about the world in the sense that the word of God would use the word when it says, love not the world or the things in it. In essence, it is a worldview, a way of living that would go against and contradict what the word of God would say. So it's a lifestyle that you live, a way that you choose to live that would directly contradict what the Bible says. And so the world can absolutely create conflict for us in our life. But then there's a third area of conflict. And really, this is where we will be basing this entire series on for the next several weeks. And that source of conflict comes from me. Come on, point to yourself and say me. Oh, see, some of y'all didn't believe that. Y'all still think it's everybody else. Point to yourself and say me, me. Without question, there's a devil fighting against you. Without question, there's a world that causes conflict. But if if I were to be, listen, I'm always honest, but I'm not always as transparent as others. And at this moment, if I were to be completely transparent with you, here's what I would tell you. Most of the time, I am my own worst enemy. Yep, there's a devil, and I, I choose to give him a lot of credit sometimes. <laughs> there's a world that I like to give a lot of credit to uh, a whole lot of the time, because guess what, uh, humans, you and I are good at doing, trying not to take the blame. But if I'm honest, most of the time, I am my own worst enemy, and I suspect that I'm not the only one. Why? Because we are masters of self-sabotage. <laughs> And if you'll allow me for the next few moments, I want to do my best to lay the foundation in this series for where we will be headed over the next several weeks. And I want to start with a a story that was recently in the news in the fall of 2018. Perhaps you're familiar with it. The art world and really the entire world was shocked by an elaborate prank by street artist Banksy. Banksy had masterminded the sale of one of his paintings, really his most famous painting entitled Girl with Balloon. And the auction house, Sotheby's in London, had it hanging on the wall with this gilded edge and romantic golden frame around it. And as people would drink their drinks and nibble on their caviar, the painting went up on auction to the highest bidder. Someone anonymously gave the highest bid, and in American currency, it was $1.4 million. Now, I don't know anything about painting. I know a lot about dollars, and that's a lot of them. $1.4 million and the gavel slammed down, sold. And at precisely the moment that the gavel would slam down and the auctioneer would pronounce the item sold, Banksy had arranged, watch this, for a shredder, a button to be pressed that would activate a shredder. A paper shredder had been installed to the bottom of the frame on this painting that caused the beautiful painting to go down into the bottom of the frame. And you should have seen the look on the shocked British audience. It looks something like this. Check it out. And what you don't see, there's a lot longer clip, but I, I didn't want to take five minutes to show you the whole thing. At the very end, you see security guards rush up to the painting and take the painting off the wall. 
I'm not sure what they were thinking they were going to do in that moment. Like, to what end were they? Ah, save the painting. Well, I'm not sure about that. But why, why was there security there that day? There was security on site to protect the painting from the people in the audience. So nobody's hands would get on the painting and mess it up and and mar it or maybe scratch it or rip it. But what nobody was prepared for was the fact that the painting needed protection from the painting. Why? Because it had its own self-sabotage built in. And just at the critical moment, just when this was supposed to be the opportunity that everything, I mean, $1.4 million, this is your time to shine, baby. And like the painting, if you'll allow me today for just a moment, I, I believe that you and I are masters of getting in our own way. That we, at precisely the the critical mass moment when we need to make a choice and a decision to do one thing, you and I are really good at making the wrong decisions and self-sabotaging our life in a way that would take us down a path that would lead to destruction. Even Paul, who would write a great portion of the New Testament, dealt with this because he says, listen, the stuff that that I really want to do and the things that I really set out to do in life are the very things that I I rarely do and the things that I said, I'm never going to do these again. I'm going to write my list. I'm going to do Never doing these again. But that's what I always do. I, I don't know. There's this internal war. In fact, it's almost as if he describes this internal civil war that's going on on the inside of him. Point to yourself and say, me. No, you didn't say, yeah, that was, yeah, me. Me, say me. me. I am most often my own worst enemy. And we carry a shredder around like an old boombox right here. All the cool kids know what I'm talking about. That was way before my time. I just saw it on TV, I guess. But we carry a shredder around. And in the moments with your families, when you need to make the right choices, you and I are really good about doing the wrong thing. And the same thing when it comes to business, we see a way to make a little more money and we make a choice that's a little under the table instead of doing the right thing. In the moment of critical mass, we're really good. It's self-sabotaging ourself. And I don't pretend to come in here this morning and know what your war is or know what your wars are. Maybe this morning you're battling fear. Maybe you've walked in here this morning and you're battling anxiety. Maybe you've walked in here this morning and you just can't get those suicidal thoughts out of your mind. You're not even sure where they came from, but they're there. Maybe you're struggling with numbing, which takes many different shapes and forms. Maybe through overeating or through medicating, whether prescription drugs or not. Maybe through shopping and spending. Maybe through the validation that comes from in a low moment, making a post on social media so you'll get a lot of hearts and a lot of comments so you can feel loved and appreciated and accepted. There's numerous things. We could sit here for our entire time together and list things on the inside of us that we struggle with that make us feel like we're, we're in a battle with ourselves because the things that we want to do are the very things that we seldom do and the things that we know we don't need to do 
are the things that we find ourselves doing time and time again. We're good. I'm good at doing things that aren't good. And this is even true when it comes to the medical help that we receive in this day and age. There was an article published in the uh, Journal of Internal Medicine that depicted the rates of success when people are given prescriptions that they need from a doctor or after procedures. Watch this. If 100 people walk away from their doctor with a prescription in their hand, one-third of them will never fill it. Like, you paid to go see that doctor. Think about this. Because something was not right, they gave you a prescription... And here's what you said. Hey, I appreciate your 47 years of schooling, but I know what's going on in my... You see Google? Self-diagnosed right here. That's what we do. One third of them will never fill the prescription. Of the remaining, watch, 67 who fill it, half of those will not follow the directions on the bottle correctly. Come on, people. It's right there. It's easy. Do it. This is even true. This blows my mind. This is even true when it comes to organ transplant uh, rejection medication. So somebody that's had an organ transplant, they've been on a list perhaps for years and years, and they received the transplant, and now they're supposed to take medication. And they still ain't going to do it. This blows my mind. But there is. I, I do have... One instance of hope, um, one area that defies odds where prescriptions are filled at a much higher rate and directions are actually followed. Are you ready? It's when the prescription comes from a vet for your pet. And it is funny, I get that, but what does this say about the self-loathing of our society when we will take better care of our pets then we will take care of ourselves. And that's why we're doing this series and it's why I'm preaching to you today because I want you to understand that there is a war going on on the inside of us. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to make this declaration today that I declare war. I declare war. See, there's some things going on on the inside of me and today I choose to declare war. I know it's aggressive. But guess what? Nothing's going to change if you don't ever do something about it. I know it's aggressive, but when you say, listen, today is the day where things change. Today is the day that I declare war. It does something in your mind. Instead of saying, oh, today's the day we're all sweeping under the rug again. (laughs) Why would you do that? It's gotten you to where you are today. You're not happy. You're frustrated. You're anxious. You've got those thoughts running. Come on. Today is the day where I choose to declare war on the internal struggle that's going on inside of me. And here's what I know, and this may sound a bit odd, but I'm just quoting Teddy Roosevelt, and it's this, that if you will choose to declare war, the wolf will rise in your heart. I know it sounds a little odd, but stay with me. I'll bring it back. Teddy Roosevelt was the youngest person to ever hold the office of president. He was the first American president ever to win the Nobel Prize. He was the first president to ever receive the Medal of Honor, which he received for his involvement in the Spanish-American War. And he was extremely passionate 
about battle. He, he always loved the idea of going to war. Even as a child, he dreamt of the idea that one day he would be this mighty warrior. And eventually the opportunity came for him to do just that in Cuba. The Battle of San Juan Hill was the deciding moment where he and his Rough Riders, this ragtag group of cowboys and Indians and truthfully some Harvard grads, it all mixed together. We're going to be a part of this Calvary that we're going to go take the hill. But during that battle, Roosevelt describes this moment laying on the ground and lying before him was a, a piece of barbed wire on the ground. Let me just go ahead and remind you that it's one thing to want to be a soldier, but it's a whole other thing to actually be in the battle in the moment. And so the barbed wire on the ground, I wonder if anybody can identify with this today, was the separation of him as he was and him as he knew he should be. He was standing in a place of, uh, of how he always was, but just on the other side of this barbed wire was the person that he knew he needed to be. And I wonder if you've ever been there in life, if you are currently living a version of your life that you know you've been for a long time, but if you will get up and you will take a step of faith and you will move a little bit further down the road, just right over there with some action is the person that God has called you to be. But you're stuck in the person that you've always been. But right there, you can see it. You can taste it. It's the person that you know you need to be. And so he makes the decision to go forward, to press forward like he knew he needed to do and not retreat in fear and as he did, I love this, the soldiers around him, they, they would say that he became the most glorious soldier that they had ever seen. And he took San Juan Hill that day and forever for the rest of his life described July 1st, 1898 as the greatest day that he ever lived. Why? Because he said when he, he crossed that barbed wire, there was a power that he described as a wolf that rose up on the inside of him. And I just have a feeling this morning, listen people, I, I know that there's some places in life and some things that God has called you to do and a version of you that you know you need to be, but you're currently living a version of you that you know you don't need to be. And I just have a feeling that if you, would, if you would do something about it, if you would get up from where you're laying, and if you would cross that proverbial barbed wire and you would make a direction, a move in the direction of the person that God is calling you to be, that there will be something on the inside of you that will rise up. And it won't be a wolf. It's called the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to rise up on the inside of you. And it's going to be with you. It's going to push you. It's going to propel you to be the person that God is calling you to be, you're not going alone. You're going equipped. You're going well equipped and able to do everything that he's calling you to do. If you'll stand up and make a move, cross that proverbial barbed wire and say, today is the day that I declare war on the internal struggle that I'm dealing with. No more. No more will I deal with this. And that that is what this entire series is all about. About winning the war on the inside. It's about declaring war, going to battle on the version of you 
that you know you don't need to be and about living the life that God has called you to live. So each week, we're going to declare war. We're going to go to battle. We're going to do some, some major battle damage on certain areas inside of us that all of us struggle with. So today, the part of me that we're going to war with is between my ears. It's my thoughts. It's, it's what goes through my mind. Well, Pastor Brad, is this just a, a positive mental attitude sermon? Maybe. Because you are what you think. Now, well, that, that's positive mental attitude. Yeah, it is. But it's also Proverbs 23 and 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And the rest of our time together today can be summed up with this one sentence. You can change the way you feel by changing the way you think. You can change the way you feel by changing the way that you think. And listen, the way that you feel is what is responsible for most of the problems that we get ourselves into. Because we do things based upon how we feel. Well, I mean, I feel like smoking weed. Okay, well then go ahead. That's what we do, right? Y'all laughing at me. Y'all know it's real. Well, I mean, I don't... Uh, I feel like everybody's mad at me, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit here by myself. And guess what happens? You sink into depression. You get frustrated. You get angry because of how you feel. But you can change the way you feel by changing the way that you think. It starts here. Winning the war on the inside starts with what's going through your mind. It starts with the thoughts that are sinking into your brain. But today, today we're taking the reins back. We're grabbing the controls of our mind and we are declaring war on the things that's going on between our ears. Today is the day that we do something about it. Listen, listen. Your mind is either your greatest asset or it's your greatest liability. It's your choice. And so here's the first thing I want you to get a hold of. And this is so simple. But just like the prescription, one third of you will walk out of here and not do this. Are you ready? Negative thoughts will never lead to a positive life. Well, I know that. I'm sure. I mean, that makes sense. And the direction that our thoughts are going, the polarity of our thoughts, if you will, positive or negative, you put batteries right in the wrong orientation, ain't no lights coming on. And the same is true with your thought life. Watch how the Bible would address this in Colossians chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, so up, down, positive, negative, polarity, 
where Christ is above, sitting at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Romans chapter 12, where the word uh, world is used again the same way we used it previously. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In essence, if you want to live right, you got to start thinking right. If you want to live a productive, God-filled life, a day where you're living out the Word of God every single day, you got to start thinking right. It starts right here before you start walking it. you got to get it right here. When you get it here, you'll start living it. You know what the reward for negativity is? This is amazing. It's going to blow your mind. More negativity. Why? Because what you look for, you will find. What you look for, you will find. Listen, you're in charge of the thoughts that stay in your head. You can't do anything about the thought that pops in, but you have the choice whether you're going to let it sit there and and marinate a little bit, like get real juicy, like, oh, man, I like that. And that story gets bigger and better, and that person gets worse and worse the longer it just sits there. Or do you choose to flush it out? The question is yours. There's a difference between thinking and thinking about something. A thought pops into your mind. Do you think about it, or do you flush it out? Watch. You don't have to think about everything that you feel, but you will feel everything that you think about. You will feel everything that you think about. Stanford professor Arnold Zawicki put it this way. He called it the frequency illusion. I love this. The frequency illusion is how your brain is wired. And he says, once you've noticed a phenomenon for the first time, you think it happens a whole lot, even all the time. And you've lived this out, or at least I've lived this out recently. If you have children, you you can't drive a Fiat anymore, right? (laughs) Especially when you have three. And so we were in the market for a larger vehicle. And when you're 36, now you know why I wear Chelsea boots and skinny jeans. Because I own a minivan! Don't judge my skinny jeans, okay? Now you feel my pain. You, listen, you know you're old when A, you own a minivan, and B, you really, really like it. But, but what happens, right? So we were in the market for a bigger vehicle, and I'm, I mean, I'm researching. Google, da, da, da. I, I know everything about every minivan ever designed from like 1942 to right now. I've got the detail. What's the safest one? What kind of tires? What color? What color interior do I want? Does it have this feature? Does it not have this feature? What do we need? And I've done all my research. And then selective attention kicks in. And you know what happens? I get in the car that I currently own, driving around in the city that I currently live in. And guess what I see? Oh, there's one. There's a minivan. There's a minivan. You get a minivan. You get a minivan. Woo! Baby, we made the best decision of our life. Everybody in our neighborhood has a minivan. Everybody loves minivans. We're definitely getting a minivan. 
Y'all forgive me. God's still working on me. Uh, There were no more minivans on the road the day before than there were the day after I researched everything. But because of selective attention, you start to see more of it because you've been dwelling on it. What have you started to believe about yourself that you've allowed to sit and marinate? Ah, Just let it sit in that think tank. Just ah, get real good. Stir up a good story. I mean, just make it bigger than it is. Just what, what, what lies have you started believing about yourself because you just couldn't stop thinking about it? What is it that you keep telling yourself? And so now... We're in this cycle called the frequency illusion where you're starting to live a self-fulfilled prophecy because what you've been looking for, you will find the reward for negativity is more negativity. You walk into work. They were mean to me yesterday. So mean. But they're going to be mean again to me tomorrow. (laughs) I even want to go to work. And guess what? You walk into work. And everything that they say, everything that they don't say, they talking about me? (laughs) Everything that they laugh at, everything that they don't laugh at, they're making fun of me right now. (laughs) A person you've never even met at the other end of the office, they're sitting there writing an email. I bet they're sending an email to my boss about me. They don't like that. They never met you. They don't care about you. I'm sorry. They probably like you if they knew you, but they sure aren't being rude to you. We're just waiting. We live in a society that is looking to get wounded. And as Christians, listen, as a body of believers, it's time to declare war on the negativity that is constantly marinating in your brain. Things that were never meant to be there, it's time to go to battle. On the stuff between your ears. Some of us are just hoping to get hurt. I mean, we're just looking for it. Focused on the stuff that our spouse does. Focusing on the bad things that happen at church or in a, a life group and all the drama. Yeah, blah, 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 yeah. And now you're staring at it right in the eyes. And so what's happening, you start to see more of it. There's no more negativity today than there was yesterday, but it's what you've been looking for. So your subconscious, there it is. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I knew it. I knew it. I knew she was that way. I, I I knew they were like, oh, I just, I was right. Baby, baby, I told you. Remember when I told you? I told you. It was like that. Story of my life. No, no, no. It's the story you're choosing to write. I told you I was coming for you today. So the question becomes this, right? How do we get this thinking to change? How do we change our thinking? And this is so simple. This is not groundbreaking, but once again, once again, like the prescription illustration, one third of us will walk out of here and, and forget 
what was said. Watch. What if, what if you literally started to identify the thoughts that were tearing you down? Example. When you get home and you get mad at your wife or husband, probably husband mad at wife because we mess up a lot. But what if, what if you went back 30 seconds, just rewind, and started to identify the things that you were thinking about that caused you to feel the way that you were? And you do this for, I'm talking like get an old school pen and paper and jot that mess down. And do it for a week. And I have a feeling that you're going to see, you're going to see, oh, oh man, that really gets to me. Like this, this is what, man, I really seem to be thinking of it. See, you have to identify the thoughts that are tearing you down, that are causing you to live the version of you that you're not happy with. Because if you don't identify them, then you can't do the next step. You can't replace them. Identify and then replace. That's the great part, is that you now have the ability to change what you dwell on. Anybody ever use um, Microsoft Word? Built into Microsoft Word is an unbelievable feature that is called Find and Replace. I love Finder. I used to use this a lot when I was writing a bunch of papers for my graduate work because I wasn't near smart enough, and so I would write a paper, and then I would go in and find all these real small words that I would use, and I would, I would change it to a, a really big word so my teachers would think I was genius. It's probably the vocabulary they use every day, but this is a word, words that I never heard of. Like, what is that? Right? So I would find it. But he, here's the beauty of it. You can literally type a word in to the little search box, and when you press enter, it will identify how many times throughout your document you've used that word, and it will highlight it for you. But it gets better than that. It doesn't just point out the negative, right? Here, here's the best part. Because it also has a feature where you can replace it with a word of your choice. So I... I I could literally look at my computer and you could literally look at your life and any time that you see the word negativity generate in your document, you could replace it with something positive. Find and replace. And it's not just built in to Microsoft Word. It's built in to your life as well. You have, listen, you have the capability to get out the search box that is your life. And, and why don't you, you type in some thoughts and press the word replace. Why, why don't you type in thoughts of I'm not good enough and replace it with God. You see, God, you're just more than enough. That's what I choose to believe. Why don't you, why don't you identify the thoughts that say I don't have what it takes and, and replace it with God has equipped me with everything I need to do what he's called me to do. See, we're, we're finding and then we're changing. Why, why don't you find that I'll never get that job and why don't you replace it with, you know what, favor ain't fair, I'm a child of the king. Why don't you replace it with a little swagger? Yeah, I just said swagger in the pulpit. Why don't you find 
Come on, let's be real for a moment. Why don't you find the thoughts that are telling you you will never break free from that addiction that has held you captive your entire adulthood? Why don't don't you find those thoughts and you replace it with something that says, I am the head and I am not the tail. This will not have control over my life one day longer. Come on, husbands. Come on, wives. Why why don't you, in your search box, those thoughts that are running through your mind that says, my marriage is not going to end well. This is not going good. And why don't you replace it with with a three-strand cord is not easily broken. And we invited God into this. And when he's in the middle of it, come on, baby, we can make this work. Let's keep our family together. Come on, let's start thinking. Why don't you choose to encourage instead of be critical? Why don't you replace grumbling with gratitude? Why don't you replace pouting with praise or maybe even worry with worship? Did you know that you cannot worship and worry at the same time? You can't be accidentally negative and intentionally positive at the same time. It's not the way it works. Why don't you try to work? You want to get happy? You want your life to pick up? Why don't you start worshiping Jesus a little bit with everything that you have? Because in that moment, you can't be negative when you're intentionally positive about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's time. It's time to go to war with the thought processes that are holding you captive. Self-sabotage techniques that you're using against yourself Today, today we declare war. Woo! See, you need to wake up in the morning and just say it. Just get in your closet, close the door, and just say, I declare war. See, something changes. I'm telling you, I, you're not getting it like I'm getting it right now because I'm saying it. I'm getting fired up. I'm ah! Judo chop. Would you stand with me? And I know what you're thinking. I I know what some of you are thinking right now. Pastor Brad, that sounds great. And and moving forward, yeah, we're going to identify those thoughts. I'm going to put something in. I'm going to put what God believes about me. Yeah, that's great. But but Pastor Brad, here's the problem. See, for so long, I have been thinking one way. I've got thoughts in my mind that are making me feel all the shame in the world from the things that I've done in my past. And I feel so guilty for my actions because I was thinking wrong that caused me to feel a certain way. And because I was feeling a certain way, I made decisions that I know I shouldn't have made and now I feel like it's just a part of who I am I I don't know that I can ever get it I don't know that things can go back and I can get healing that I need can I tell you that there's more to the story of the painting that we started off with because Banksy was trying to point out sure the the horrors of capitalism and selling of art but but here's the beauty of it are you ready Experts are now estimating that that painting, right, that that work of art is worth much more than $1.4 million because of the circumstances under which all of it went down, the filming of it so he could put it out on social media. And they say that actually what happened that day at Sotheby's was just one piece of the painting. The actual art was the whole stunt of the entire day. And I would say the same thing to you sir and you ma'am who are struggling with a thought life 
and a way of thinking that is causing you to live a version of you that you know you don't need to be living. I would say the same thing to you. The reason that someone would pay much more than $1.4 million to buy a tattered canvas is because they know the tattered canvas is just one aspect of the painting that they're purchasing. What they're actually purchasing is the entire masterpiece that came from the artist's mind. And so I would tell you this morning, I would tell you this morning that your thought life, the things that you're thinking right now, no matter how bad they are, if they're the worst thing, I, I don't know what it is, but if it's the worst thought that you've ever had in your life, can I tell you, it did not surprise the Creator. He knew it from the very beginning that this was going to be part of it. That your mind would be messed up from time to time. That you would struggle with negative thinking that would cause you to feel a certain way and do things in your life that you're not proud of. That you're marred and that you're broken. It was always going to be the occasion that would give him an opportunity to show his great love for you. You've never done anything that's disappointed your creator. He looks at you today with arms wide open. He says, listen, I've got so much more designed for you if you will change the way you think and the things that you dwell on. I know it's a part of the whole painting. I get it. And you have to understand this, that a, per- a perfect, pretty little picture was never part of the plan he was never counting on your goodness he was always banking on his